This is the Evangelical Church of Bermuda's weekly sermon podcast. Thank you for joining us. Here is this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Before we read God's word this morning, let's, let's spend a time in prayer. Shall we pray? That that brings and the freedom that that brings. Father God, we thank you. Father God, we think, we think of those who are, are not with us this morning. You know their needs. You know where they are. Father God, may you comfort them. Bring healing where healing is needed, Father God. Protect and guide them. Father God, as we look towards Christmas and we think of all those who will be traveling soon, Father God, we just ask for traveling mercies for them, that this would be a blessed time of reuniting families and just focusing on you. Father God, as Jamiko prayed earlier, may our hearts and our minds not be caught up in the busyness of Christmas, but may we be focused on you and the precious gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father God, we, we thank you for your word. And for the word that you placed on Pastor Jamiko's heart this morning, may you bless him as he, as, he, as, he re- as he speaks to us in Jesus' precious name. I'd like to invite Dwayne Marks to come and read the God's word this morning. Good morning, church. All right. Um, today's scripture is going to be Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 to 50. And I'll be reading from the ESV. Um, says, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whosoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Well, let's dive into our last sermon in the uh, series in Matthew called Kingdom Opposition. And you you might have saw that it was uh, just four verses long, this sermon, and you're like, yes, it's going to be a short sermon, (laughs) but good luck. (laughs) But as we read through this particular passage, you probably would have saw a theme of family. And when I say the word family, what comes to mind? It's quite a word, isn't it? It encompasses so much, but yet is so specific, isn't it? And what I mean by that is that this word be levied over a large uh, swath of people in our lives, couldn't it? It encompasses a church family like ours, but also can be driven down to be as, nu- as, um, as narrow as your nuclear family within your home. It's a word that has a great deal of power and can also encompass a lot of pain. Some of us have fond and amazing memories tied behind that word family, and yet some of us have a hurt that is buried so deep under that word. Again, it encompasses so much, doesn't it? I know for me particularly, family has quite a broad classification. Yes, I have my nuclear family at home, and my blood family and the family that I married into that I loved to death. But over my life, I've added a few more people 
to that family category. Friends that I've made over the years who are pretty well as close as family, churches that I've been a part of with people who have had an incredible impact on my life, whether positive or negative, who I would also consider family, people who I've shared my life with, who've stood by me through the good and the bad, offering support and love and encouragement. And I add in here whether positive or negative, because family isn't always rainbows and butterflies, is it? Sometimes family's hard. We love them, but sometimes they get under, under your skin, don't they? They know just which buttons to push and what to say that really gets you irritated. But it doesn't mean you don't love them, right? But what we see here in our passage this morning is Jesus challenging our conventional understanding of what family is. What he says is a radical idea that expands what we see as the perspective of family and invites each of us to consider a broader definition of what family is and who those people are. You see, even Jesus had some interesting family relationships that he had to navigate. We find in scripture that even his earthly family didn't understand who he was or what his mission encompassed. In John chapter 7, verse 5, we read, For not even his brothers believed in him. Also in the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 3, it says, Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. His family even thought he was out of his mind and wanted to go and to grab him. And now we get to our passage this morning. And let's set the scene here really quickly. Jesus had just finished a pretty lengthy exchange with the Pharisees who were trying to catch him out with specific points of the law on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees were conspiring against him about how they were going to destroy him. And so Jesus withdrew from that place, and we see in, the verse, in verse 15 that many followed him. And now we see Jesus is in a moment where he is surrounded by a crowd, and he's teaching and he's ministering to these people who have sought him out who followed him. And in the midst of this interaction, this provides Jesus with an opportunity, an opportune moment to convey a profound truth that we learn about the nature of family and our relationship with him as our heavenly father. So let's dive in with the first thing that we're hit with in our passage this morning. We read in Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 to 47, while he was still speaking to the people, Behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. And you might notice, if you really looked closely to your Bible, that verse 47 might be missing. And 47 includes this verse. And someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside asking to speak to you. So while he's speaking to these people, somebody comes up to Jesus and taps him on the shoulder and tells him that his mother and brothers are outside wanting to speak to him. Like, really consider what's going on here, because it kind of appears a little comical, doesn't it? Jesus is here doing his thing. He's preaching. He's probably in his zone, uh, making disciples and, and teaching these folks. And somebody comes over to the side of him and just taps him on the shoulder and whispers in his ear, Hey, Jesus, your mom and brothers are outside, and they want you to stop and come out and talk to them. And at the onset of this, we see going on here what could be two things. 
One, Jesus' family might have been moved by not any real opposition to him or his message, but about, about out of their concern for him. And so they might have wanted to get him away from in front of these people to preserve him from some maybe unfortunate consequences that might happen to him. Maybe they heard a little bit of inkling of what was going on in the surrounding um, Pharisee um, uh, areas. Or they could have wanted some preferential treatment on account of their family ties. But what we do see is that they remain outside and they don't come in and try to get Jesus himself. And that may show that there could have been some reluctance of his family to be really associated with what was going on in his ministry. Maybe they were aware of what was happening with the Pharisees, and so maybe they were just afraid. We already know from Mark 3.21 that they thought he was out of his mind. But despite all those assumptions, it appears that they thought that because of their family ties, because of their linkage with Jesus, they'd be able to summon him over and get a private meeting with him. What we see here is that they're wanting to get Jesus' attention away from what he's doing and towards themselves. Now the idea here, what I want you to get is how terrible Jesus' family is. It's not what we're, the road that we're going down. Or that they were there to distract Jesus' mission here on earth. What this is, is simply a precursor on what is going to come in this passage. And I do think that this first interaction does give us another glimpse on what it is like living a life for Jesus. We know that following Jesus isn't always easy. Not always pretty. And we can even get pushback from those closest to us. And we're told that in the Bible. We're, we're, we're instructed that that might happen. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, it tells us this. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for, this, is, it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master master of the house of Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? The road of doing the will of our father and master isn't going to be easy. In fact, we're going to have moments where we may find ourselves in a place where somebody is trying to actively pull us away from doing the will of our father. And I want to encourage you to be on the lookout for this. Because these distractions that we face might not come in audacious ways that we might think. Somebody's not going to stop you when you stand up here and preach and say, you need to stop, I need, I need you right away. But it could be in the moments of our day-to-day. -day. Maybe you're in the middle of sharing your faith with a coworker who's keen to know what you were up to this weekend, how you were in a great worship service and heard this great message. And while you're telling your coworker this, maybe another coworker is like, let's go, we gotta go to lunch. Could be something as small as that that pulls us away from doing what God wants us to do in that moment. And in our rel relatively safe country, religion-wise, we need to be on the lookout for those smaller moments that pull us away from what God wants us to do. Again, we're not gonna, we may not face big audacious moments where somebody's pulling us away from the pulpit but be mindful of these little moments because the command of Jesus is direct. In John chapter 12, verse 26, it says that if anyone serves me, he must follow me. 
and where I am, there will be my servants, my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And in Psalm 34, 5 to 6, it says, Commit your ways to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. And I love these verses because it reminds us that if we're faithful and serve God, then not that we'll get blessings of, of these earthly possessions. Let's not get that confused. But God will honor the servant. God will act. God will show himself faithful, and he'll move in the lives of, of the people around you. And that is so exciting. I, I hope that we would see that as exciting because a new life in Christ is such a beautiful and it's such an amazing thing. It's a blessing that we should be looking out for, that we should be yearning to see. And before we move on to the next section, I want to point out that what we also don't see happening here. We don't see Jesus hear this request from his mother and brothers and rush out to his family. He didn't rush out to try to figure out what was going on. Jesus remained obedient to his calling. He remained obedient to what he was doing to preach to the crowd that had gathered. And that's another great example for us. Because I know for me it would be hard, it would be a super hard thing not to be compelled to stop what I'm doing and be pulled away to sort out what was going on. We are called to obedience as well. To be committed to the will of our Father and to do what he's called us to do and to be mindful of these distractions that could come into our lives. James chapter 1 verses 22 and 20 to 25 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers also, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Obedience. That's what we're told to do. And that's what we're called to do. As we move on to the, the next point, we see Jesus remains obedient and faithfully continues teaching the word to this crowd. And he uses this as an opportunity to challenge this traditional understanding of the family dynamics that were at play. Let's listen to verses 48 to 49. It says, but he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Quite the statement, isn't it? When Jesus is made aware of his family's desire to speak to him, he immediately poses a question. And this question is designed to challenge the priority that's given to family ties. And we can understand that. For many of us, even here in this room, family ties are important. They're probably our entire life. That's our focus here on earth. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can probably say, yes, that is the reality that I face. But Jesus poses this question, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And now let's, again, not get this twisted at all. Jesus here isn't denouncing or, or abandoning his family in this situation. This would be counter to whatever we've read elsewhere in the Bible. 
In the Ten Commandments, we're told to honor our father and mother, right? In Ephesians and Colossians, Paul tells children to obey their parents. We see Jesus' answer to this question by doing this. He looks out and he stretches his hand towards his disciples, saying that they were his family. He's saying that those who follow him are his mother, his brother, and his sisters. And we can understand and identify the brother and sister here because that's kind of what we, we do here within the confines of our church family. Yes, my brother and my sister. A commentator notes that this is, when he talks about his mother, this is an unusual way of using mother, but that in reality it's meant to just transfer the name to those people that were in Jesus' way, the people who he respects and he loved as a mother, or those who respected him and loved him as a mother would. What we see Jesus doing here is redefining family by inviting those who believe in him into a broader or profound sense of kinship within the body of Christ. Simply what he's saying is what the words are saying when we sing, blessed be the tie that binds. I'm not, not going to sing you. You probably run out of the room. But when we sing that song, this is really what we're talking about. Jesus, Jesus is telling these folks that those who believe in him and are closely associated with him in the service of God have become family to him. What this highlights for us is the transformative power of faith. When we place our faith and trust in Jesus, we're now part of this larger family of believers that transcends even our local church. This creates a bond that is unmistakable, undeniable. I'm sure you feel it when you go away and you visit another church. Often you feel welcomed like you're almost at home. It pulls us into a family of people that we might otherwise never, ever cross paths with in life. And a, a reminder of that for me was when my wife and I went to Canada, we left our family and our church family in Bermuda, and I began to work for this church in Canada, and almost immediately we felt like we were family within this church. The commonality that we had around Jesus drew us together. And we see that even happen right here at ECB. Sometimes you bump into somebody who you've maybe never known before and you feel like you've been long lost friends. Rick Warren, the author of The Purpose Driven Life, says this, when we place our faith in Christ, God becomes our father, we become his children, other believers become our brothers and sisters, and the church becomes our spiritual family. The family of God includes all believers in the past, the present, and the future. In John chapter 1, it also gives us a great picture of this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus here is emphasizing the importance of recognizing this spiritual family. What we don't do is we don't just come together on a Sunday morning and exchange pleasantries with one another. At least we shouldn't. When we come through those doors in the morning, we shouldn't just be surface level and respond to the how are you with the customary, well, I'm blessed. No, as believers who are united in Jesus, we should be going the step further. 
This should cause us to view this bond that we have together here as something that we need to cherish and spend time developing. And that leads us to our final point this morning, where we see the importance of prioritizing these spiritual relationships that we have. In the last verse, he says, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. We see in this verse, Jesus states that whoever does the will of my Father is his brother and sister. Essentially, he puts wheels on what we had just talked about. The word whoever really means anybody at all. This doesn't limit who could enter the spiritual family that we find ourselves in. There's no restrictions. And that's a beautiful thing. Because there's no hierarchy. There's no economic level that puts you in a different status. No amount of frequent flyer miles could put you any closer to the front. There's no limit to joining this family of believers together. But there's one barrier, one barrier that must be satisfied. And that's to do the will of God the Father which we find in his word. Now, Jesus isn't opting here for a salvation by works. Let's not get that confused. We're told in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one could boast. What Jesus is pointing out here is the importance of conforming to God's way and not imposing one's own pattern on heavenly things. We talked about that a little bit in Sunday school. If we have the control over the situation, often we put our own little spin on it. But Jesus is making sure that that's not going to happen here. He's being specific, maybe knowing that this could easily happen within this group. They would easily place limitations and their own ideals on who could be a brother or sister if they had the control over that. What he's saying is that your, your relationship to the Heavenly Father, that, that constitutes membership in this spiritual family. And it provides for us a bit of a test on who we should call brother or sisters in our spiritual family. Because it's easy to say one thing, but it's a whole different thing to live that out. It's easy to say I'm a Christian, but how are we living? How are we living that out? Matthew 7, 21 gives us a great reminder of that. He says, not, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This highlights the importance of shared faith and obedience. Firstly, in order for us to, do, for us to know the fruit of somebody's life is that we've got to spend time with them. We can't do this by sitting on the sidelines. We can't know what's going on in somebody's life if we give them a quick wave and then swing by them on a Sunday morning. And in spending time with one another, we should be encouraging one another towards a deeper relationship with Christ. If we really believe that Jesus has transformed our lives, then our time together ought to be pointing each other continually to that one who's transformed our life. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 is therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Paul and his team were encouraging the Thessalonians 
to be ready for the day of the Lord. And in getting ready for this, he tells them to encourage and build each other up. Do we believe that the day of the Lord is coming? I hope so. And so are we building each other up? Is this a regular practice in our lives to do this with our spiritual brothers and sisters? I would encourage us, let's not be caught lacking in this. What Jesus is telling us is that these spiritual relationships are even to surpass even our earthly relationships. And it's interesting how sometimes it's easier, isn't it, to relate to our brothers and sisters in Christ than sometimes even to our earthly families. Why is that? I think it's because at times there's a barrier between us and our families who are not part of the church, who, who don't believe in Jesus. And that barrier often doesn't allow for real discussion of what's going on within your heart and your life. Maybe they don't want to hear about your church stuff or they just can't get their minds wrapped around it. I'd encourage you to continue to pray for those family members and ask the Lord for opportunities for sharing him with those family members and be ready for that. But that should also encourage us and draw us more heightened to the importance of the relationship that we have together here within the confines of our spiritual family. And these connections should help us to prioritize the will of our Father through mutual encouragement around God's word. And I also want to point out here really quickly that just like our earthly family, even within our spiritual family, we'll have conflicts. That's a reality. We're human after all. And we need to be on guard with that. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, it tells us, Bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And in 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Even in the midst of conflict within this spiritual family, we need to aim towards peace and forgiveness. The reality is, is that these issues that will come up, what they'll do is they'll simply distract us. They'll distract us from the obedience that we're called to and that was talked about at the beginning of our time together. And the reality is, is that they're often trivial things. Oh, you put the platter in the wrong space or you didn't hold the door open right. or It's, it's always trivial stuff. Let's not be found lacking in this forgiveness. Let's, let's aim to be the family of God that we've been talking about and not get distracted by, again, these trivial things that could come up between us. This was a short passage, right? But with any passage in Scripture, there's something for us to consider and see how we can implement in our lives. In our passage, we're called to rethink our relationships, to consider who our family is now that we understand the spiritual component that Jesus has brought into play. Who are our brothers and sisters? How might our relationships change knowing that the tie that binds us is so much deeper than just seeing and saying hello to each other on a Sunday morning? 
We're told that this family that we have here is so important. Let's not miss that. So the question is how? How can we foster deeper commitment alongside one another in this? Well, the answer was given to us. Hope, hope we didn't miss it. What it really boils down to is being in each other's lives. It's something that we can't get away from. We can't skirt by it. To recognize that the relationships that we have, that we built together here within the church family, these spiritual relationships, they're meant to encourage us, to unify us, to draw us closer to Jesus. Let's not forego that. Let's find opportunities to gather together, to be in each other's faces, in each other's lives. It's going to be hard work. Many of us have that badge that we walk around proudly with all the time. But if this is so important, we need to let go of the things that cause us to be busy and to spend time doing this encouragement and being together. Because the fact is that the journey that we're on together is a transformational journey where obedience to God's word becomes the tie that binds us together. And in this, it draws me to the greatest commandment that we find that Jesus shared in Matthew 22. When he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Love our Lord, love each other. It's simple yet so profound. Easy but difficult at the same time because it requires work. It requires us us to leave the confines of our comfy home and the shelter of what I want to do and to open up our lives to each other. Sounds messy. That's what we're called to do. And when we do it, we will see beautiful things happen. We'll see us draw closer to one another, be more unified. As we navigate our lives, let's be intentional about fostering and deepening these spiritual connections. Let's commit to doing that, even starting today. Let's recognize the beauty of a family that we have here that transcends the earthly bounds that we have. Let's commit to doing that. And when we do that, let's look and see where God shows up and what he does. And I promise you, we'll see amazing, we'll see beautiful, we'll see God honoring things happen as a result of that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this last passage of Matthew 12, Father, where you just challenge us to rethink what family looks like, Lord. Lord, to open our lives up to the people that we spend time with here on a Sunday, who we throw in with as we serve, as the people who we hang out with even on the playground, Lord. I thank you, God, that you open up this family to these people that are united together spiritually. Lord, because that word family gives us the idea that we ought to look out for one another that we should help one another, that we should love one another, that our time together shouldn't be merely moments together on a Sunday morning, but God should be deeper and more full than that. 
So God, I ask you to help us. Help us to find ways to implement in our lives, God, opportunities to foster these relationships. Help us to identify what I might be able to give up so I can do that. Help us with that, Father. Open our eyes to that. Lord, I pray that as we do that, Lord, that we'll look and see the beauty that a, a spiritual family brings to our lives, God, the encouragement, the love, the being pointed back to who Jesus is. Lord, and might we see that as a beautiful thing? Might we long for that? Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, check out our website at ecb.bm. Join us again next week for our next podcast.